Well, everyone, welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebujamra. I am so glad you're back. We are on here every week talking to different guests about hope. And this week is going to be an awesome conversation. Uh, I'm going to start by saying this is going to be the oldest podcast guest I've had yet, which is pretty funny because <laughs> she definitely doesn't look it or act it. She is awesome. Uh, you might be familiar with her. Her name is Jan Sylvia. So I'm to tell you a little bit about her, though. She's an author, speaker, life coach, wife, mom, and grandma. And I don't know, maybe she'll tell us she's a great grandma. We'll find out soon. She's got a great looking dog on her website. You guys got to go on her website and look it up, jansylvius.com. We'll get to that later. Anyway, she's a well-known speaker from Women of Faith. She's also spoken at Precept Ministries. I think Gay Arthur is one of her best friends. Uh, Moody Conferences, Moody Founders Week, a ton. I mean, she's been around forever, but she's written some books that you might have read. A lot of my friends have read Foolproofing Your Life. I have it in my library, and she is. She knows what she's talking about when it comes to um, life. She's now a professional life coach, and I'm hoping that she gives me some tips on, on my own life in this session. So whether you're listening or not, I know I'm going to be listening, and I can't wait to uh, get to where I want to be from where I am, which is her expertise. So Jan, it's awesome to have you on today. Lena, great to be with you. It has been um, just a few months since we met, but that was quite a day. I know. And I feel like I know you, I've known you forever, right? right. You people are like, I don't know. I feel like I've always known you. Yeah. It, it's like the introduction just started in the middle of a sentence. And we, I love it. I know. What is yeah. it? It's just that you're just like, we have sort of similar personalities. You're a exactly. bit and, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Funny. <laughs> it's all That's about, awesome. yeah, people and talking and listening and having right. fun and being about God's work. And Amen. We just have well, that. I love your glasses. We, we both wear glasses. So oh, yeah. a lot of commonalities. Yeah. That'll, yeah. that'll really rivet people who are listening. But no, tell us. <laughs> you know, I, I just remember for years just having like, I, you've been around forever. And I, I don't mean to, like, you know, you we joke. Oh, I know. I've been around forever. It's hard for me to believe, but I have. But do you remember way back, like, tell me about your, just even how, how did you become a Christian? I always am intrigued by that. Like, it all starts when we meet Jesus. And like, what was your story in that? Well, when I met him, um, seriously, I was 26 years old. I had been raised in the church, so I had a lot of knowledge about Jesus, and uh, but it just didn't work for me. The knowledge didn't connect. Went away to college, um, lived like the typical pagan college student. Um, met my husband on a blind date. Uh, huh. He, he uh, We married, and then he uh, went to Vietnam 18 months after we married. We had a child in between uh, the time we got married and the time he left. And what year so did you get married? Um, it was just one of those. We did everything fast because we had the war hanging over our heads. Hmm. And we um, so we got married. We had a child. He went to Vietnam. And then, boom, there we were. And wow. so um, he was gone for a year, and that was back in the day where there was no communication except letters. So we wrote every day, but there was no, um, I think I talked to him twice on the phone and met him in Hawaii for a, a week. And other than that, there was no communication. So when he came home, he was a different person. I was a different person. Um, that year had changed us. And um, he came home. Um, I immediately became pregnant again and we, um, headed off to do life and we ended up, uh, after a year for where he was an instructor pilot in Alabama, we came to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where he's an engineer. So he got a job here and this was his first civilian job. 
And uh, when we moved here, I was um, two weeks from delivering a baby. Wow. Uh, I had to go out on the street and find a somebody who had a baby to find a <laughs> to find an obstetrician. So I went out, found an obstetrician through somebody who had a baby. Um, didn't we didn't know anybody in the town, so I was just out talking to neighbors. And um, so our second son was delivered here in Chattanooga, and we began our lives. the The hard part was was then I became depressed once he came home. He lived. Then I became depressed, thinking I would die, and so I don't. And I don't know what that was about, other than just my twisted mind at that time, because I not only got into, um, and I was not only depressed, but I also had gotten very involved, at least mentally, into reincarnation because I'd mm. done a lot of reading, uh, because the thought of dying just didn't appeal to me. So I thought, well, I'll just go round and round and round, and. Um, that's how I interpreted reincarnation. And interestingly enough, my uh, high school was the same high school as Shirley MacLaine. And oh. so Shirley MacLaine and I went to the same high school. So there must have been something in the water. And so, <laughs> so it was like, oh, man. So life was just, you can tell there was a lot of confusion. And I was very confused. And yet we both, my husband and I, had both been raised in the church. And so now that we had two children, we thought it was probably pretty um, significant that we got them into church. Didn't much care about us, but we needed to get the kids into church. And so we um, disagreed about which a church to attend. We disagreed about uh, most things that had anything to do um, with anything serious. And so, um, but one night we had heard that there was going to be a singer at a church. And so we decided, okay, we'll go and that will be good. And because we don't have to listen to a preacher, neither of us were into that. And so, so, but we, we went and we listened to the sing, singer and interestingly enough, right in the middle, she stopped and she said something that changed my life. And she said, it was a simple statement, but it was this, all my life, I played games with God and then I had to get serious. and. It was as if God himself tapped me on the shoulder and said, okay, big girl, this is you. You know a lot about me because I had been involved in mission organizations. I'd memorized scripture. It wasn't like I was ignorant of the gospel or the truth about who Jesus was. It just didn't work for me and because I had never submitted. And so this night, um, when she said those words, God, the Holy Spirit, um, just captured my heart. And I thought, okay, I'm going to quit playing games. And because I knew I was been, a singer. Yeah, it, it was Who definitely was it, was it somebody famous like Sandy Patty? Oh, oh no, it was, no, it was, wasn't anybody famous. It was a woman who was with life action singers. Wow. And she had come to the Lord at a later age. And when I say later, probably in her thirties and, <laughs> you know, not so late now, but she came to the Lord at a later age and she said, you know, she just said those words. And so I, um, from that moment on, my life began to change and I began to recognize, uh, just even in leaving the church that night, because we'd had kind of a fiasco in the middle of the service. You know, if God can save me out of the mess of that night, mm -hmm. he can save anybody in any situation. Did your husband have a 
at, at some encounter that night too, or was you were you alone and uh, early on at that point in, in renewing? No, he, no, he did not have the encounter that night. In fact, the only encounter we had that night was my uh, oldest child had started crying in the middle of the service, and I had picked him up, taken him out, and I fell down the steps. Oh no! And so I took him to the nursery. Uh, told him I was so upset with him, came back in, sat down. My husband was enjoying the concert. He had no, <laughs> you know, he came for the concert. He's an engineer. He came for the concert. And so, um, and so I thought, okay, I, I'm not going to sit next to you or speak to you. So <laughs> I, I stayed about three chairs down from him and um, three seats. And, you know, I was just in that state, but God, in his miraculous, amazing power, broke through all of that mess and tapped me on the shoulder spiritually. Mm. And so from that night on, my life began to change. I um, I had little things, This and this is how I knew it was real, Lena. I had little things that changed. I had been able to lie really, um, really, really well, craftily. Because I would say it was uh, something would be fifty dollars, and I would just cover my mouth and say it was fifteen, and mm. because you know money was a big deal between us, um, mm. there were just little things that I could lie about, and and after that night, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. It was as if something within me was crying, mm. and and so I knew I knew that um, something radical had happened. Because my life changed and I did not do the changing. God himself changed me. So little by little, it changed. Um, my husband through a Bible study that we ended up going to, Miracles of Miracles. Um, did you end up staying at that church that became your church? No, we went to another church. Mm. Um, we, But we did. It was a clo- closer to home. The church we went to mm. was closer to home. No, we just, we just used the hospitality of the church that night. Wow. And God bless us. And then um, we ended up going to another church and my husband um, came around through Bible study. And um, then I got involved in Bible study. And this was this was really right at the beginning of Bible study. It wasn't cool. then. When was that like 60s or? Yeah, it was like uh, 60, 70. It was actually in 70. So, yeah, people weren't doing I mean, it wasn't like it is now. Right. No, no, no. Bible studies weren't cool. And, um, you know, in fact, the, the Bible study that he got involved in was Kay Arthur's Bible study at a place called reach out ranch. It wasn't even precept then. And it was a ranch that here in Chattanooga that, um, we heard about, we just heard about it through somebody at his work, uh, mentioned it. And so we ended up going to the Bible studies there. He went to the men's Bible study and I went to the women's Bible study. And it was Kay was teaching the whole time. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And so it was, it, and it was powerful and it changed both of our lives in terms of, we got to know the word of God mm. and, and we knew it in power. And as we grew in that, we both changed. And so that was the gracious, um, gracious gift of God, of his salvation. So now when you had married and like, were you a homemaker or what was your, like, yeah. what? Well, I, you know, I would have called myself a homemaker, but I was pretty much just an army wife and we moved from place to place. We lived in trailers. We So it wasn't really much homemaking. It was um, making the most of being 
uh, transferred from place to place to place because he was in training to right. go to Vietnam. And so. But you stayed in Chattanooga pretty much once you moved. They stayed there the whole life, right? You're still there. Right. Once once he got out of the Army, we came here and um, we stayed here. And I I can tell you that I felt like coming to Chattanooga was like the armpit. I was raised in Arlington, Virginia. So Washington, oh. D.C. was my was my hangout. I loved Washington. Um, I, you know, and that was back in the days when a kid could hop on the um, streetcar or the bus and travel anywhere they wanted to. And I would go by myself to the museums. And so I was, I was really a a city kid. And, And we moved to Chattanooga. And at that time, when we moved here, Chattanooga was just an old steel mill or or mill kind of town with a lot of uh, pollution since Mm -hmm. that time. It's been, it's been turned into really an incredibly beautiful city. That's what they say, right? Yeah. It's like really popular place to be now. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, it's, it's. So, and so, but you, you did have a ministry career that sort of has been very rich over the years. Like how did that come about? When did you feel, once you go from being like a, you know, army wife, homemaker to, Woman of faith speaker, like talk to us about that transition. What did God do in your life to well, lead to that? Again, that was only God could have done it because I certainly did not look for it. And I learned a long time ago that ministry is received; it's not achieved. So mm. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't going after it. Um, I just started really at a at a very minimal level, and that was um, at Reach Out Ranch with Kay Arthur. I had put my children into the nursery at the Bible study and she just had one woman working there and there was this slew of kids. And I had a, a 18 month old who would, who would have walked out the door if he turned your back on him. And so um, I went to her and I said, you know, I'm really concerned about the nursery. And this was a totally volunteer organization. This was not a, this was not a fancy organization. The nursery was a chicken house that had been, had been converted. So, I mean, you know, it was totally volunteer, but I went to her and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned about the nursery. And she just looked at me with those eyes that I felt like could look clear through to my soul. And she said, um, then why don't you take over the nursery? (laughs) I said, okay, I will. And so, um, I kind of got it organized. I got some more help in there, um, painted some, um, some cribs and, you know, got them kind of cleaned up and, Mm -hmm. and sort of made it into a nursery nursery and then just moved from that to place to place to place within that growing ministry, because it was a, like I say, it was a volunteer ministry, but it was growing. Mm -hmm. And and as we know, it went from that time, which was like the first, oh, 10, about 10 years. It was just, it was this ranch that was growing. And then Kay decided that she was going to write precept upon precept. Mm. Interestingly enough, I told her I thought she was going to ruin Bible study <laughs> and because we had her to ourselves in like 200 women. We had her to ourselves and she was planning to take this to Atlanta where she was teaching like 1600 women. And I said, mm. you're going to ruin Bible study. And of course we know what happened. It exploded and, and it's worldwide. Yeah. But, um, ministry wise, I stayed with precept. It became precept. It went from reach out to precept. I stayed with it and I, I fulfilled every job within that ministry that I could, um, until I, I was there 14 years 
And mm. then it was just if as as if God said, um, now it's time for you to go. Because my the way that I was introduced to speaking and mm. and to ministry was I was I was a substitute for Kay. So she uh-huh. would not go somewhere or couldn't go somewhere. And she would say, but I have somebody who can. Well, I I learned how to deal with rejection. I can tell you that much. Because, you know, if you go in as a substitute for a really excellent speaker um, and you're just a newbie, it's kind of, it was hard. In fact, I was really, my baptism of fire was, uh, she had these women, 1600 in Atlanta, and she was going to Israel. And so I um, went to substitute for her and I was going to introduce the book of John. And they said, as they introduced me, they said, um, Kay Arthur is not here today. And the whole audience, 1600, went, oh, Oh, no. And then it was, but Jan Silvius is. And then it was crickets. Crickets. Yeah. Who is that? Who's that? How do you come up from that? And you're like, hi. Exactly. I mean, and the other thing was like, and we don't care, you know? And so, and Silvius is here. And so then... They, um, I mean, it, I was just in a total sweat. In fact, I had on a velvet jacket that day and I threw it away afterwards. It was so, <laughs> I had just sweat. That is hard though. I mean, that is, how did you, you just, did you feel though? I mean, when you started doing that, did you feel like God had called you to teach or did that come grow out of the times of, be, you know, how did, when did you know, like, this is what God has for me? Or did you just do what was in front of you? Well, I did what was in front of me until one day. And I was flying to Canada. And um, again, it was as if God tapped me on the shoulder. And he says, this is your assignment. This mm. is not case. Because I had gone as her substitute so uh. many times. But, but these people had actually invited me. And so, uh. and so I went. And as I went, um, it just began to, to grow. Other people would invite me. And it, I thought, okay, this is this is this feels, I knew about spiritual gifts and I thought this feels right. This is, this is what I'm called to do. And then, Mm -hmm. um, I was after about 10 more years, I got a call from women of faith just out of the blue. I mean, it was totally out of the blue and and they said, we want you to come speak. And so I was with them for, uh, 14 years in different capacities. That's awesome. Were you like so excited when they asked you? Was you were you surprised? Were you what was your emotion when they uh, called? I was that? surprised. I was excited. I was I was humbled because I thought, yeah. how do they even know who I am or where I am? But out of the blue, they called me. And interesting. Were you praying for God to open doors, or was it just more like you were? You know, does it even cross your mind something like that? No, or did God it just never crossed sort of, my mind. Mm-mm. Never crossed really? my mind. I never thought. Um, I just never, I never thought about it. And, but then when they called, I, I thought about it and, um, it was, it was just a very interesting journey in, um, growing and learning and just, and then out of that came many other speaking engagements. So it wasn't that I was just confined to women of faith. I've spoken, you know, in tons of churches and, um, and loved it. I, I what, what was the what was the climate of the culture? I mean, when did you do Women of Faith? Was that like eighties? Now I'm just trying to place uh, It was nineties. So yeah. I mean, nineties like to now that was twenty years ago. How do you see like how have women changed, or is it the same feel when you speak to women now as you did then? Uh, it is back then. It was um, 
women were far more receptive mm-hmm. and had more time and and were open to I mean, I did lots of conferences that would begin on Friday and go through to Sunday afternoon. And mm. and so uh, there was a lot more time. People were not as rushed. Mm. And when I say they were more receptive, they were more receptive to the time. I think people are just as hungry and receptive now, but they also have a lot more. And right. they have a lot more online that they can access. So they don't have to access everything by going to a conference, anything apart from church back in the day, you had two options. Either you would listen to someone preaching on radio or you would go to a women's conference. Right. Those are the only two options other than going to church. Right. It's true. So, but do you think you know, what makes like what do you, what is your assessment of why women still bother to go to conferences now? Um, usually I think it is a very uh focused, individualized. There's a reason it's like a mom's conference or right. a, uh, it's, it's not, it's not just general it, generalization, unless it's a very small church in a very rural area. Sometimes they will just generalize because it's, it's still very appealing to be able to get out of the house and go to the conference. But as you move toward the cities and you move toward more faster paced lifestyle uh, it's got to be something that really appeals to my felt need or I'm not going to go. Mm. I mean, that's just, that's just the, the mindset. I'm not going unless my felt need will be met. Yeah. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. It's just the way it is. Well, how did you come upon writing? Was that something you also noticed you had a gift in or was that, how, how did you start writing? Books? Oh, it was another one of those flukes. Um, <laughs> everything I've done is just, been kind of fluky. Uh, I didn't start out to do it. I was uh, working on a radio program. I did a radio program for three years uh, that was national after I left Precept. And during that time... Was it about like a conversation one, like a podcast on radio? Yeah, it's about like what we're doing now. It was conversational. Um, But at that time, we had access to everybody and, um, you know, everybody that anybody knew because there weren't that many people that people knew. And so there, uh, it mm. was just easy access. But um, I wrote this little pamphlet, and it was called Life Beyond the Veil. And it was just truly just a pamphlet, and it was on marriage. And um, so a, a publisher found it. Now, you know this was back in the day because it's mm. certainly not this way now. But back in the day, a publisher found it, Zondervan. And when they found it, they asked me if I um, would write a book. Wow. And from that little pamphlet. And I said, that's sure. Crazy. I mean, you know, basically that's the way I roll. They asked me to do it and I say, sure. And then figure out later how to, and I was an English major in college, but, um, but still that did not, that didn't qualify me to write a book. And so I wrote this book and it was called, um, no, I can't even remember what it was called, but it was short. It was a very short book, but it was about under, Oh, here it is. Understanding women, a book for men. Oh, and it was 60 pages. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it sold a lot and, yeah. and, and that was, it was my first book. And, um, you know, it was just one of those, I, I, I look at it now and probably shudder, but I thought I knew so much because that was like, what, 25, 30, 40, yeah. 40. I don't know how many years ago. Um, probably 30. 
but but the bottom line is understanding women a book for men and it just basically told men um how women feel yeah and um and if you want to understand her here's what you can understand and of course men would always laugh at it and say because it was only 60 pages and they would say oh um it's impossible to understand women and in 60 pages i said now listen cowboy give it a try Oh, and, that's good. You know, and so they would give it a try and then, oh, yeah, 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 that helped. So that's how I got started. Yeah, I thought you wrote it 60 pages on purpose because most men can't read more can't than read that. more than 60 pages. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, often that's what I'd said. I said, it's about the length you'll understand. You know, so it was, it was <laughs> but it was jesting. It was fun jesting back and forth. And my, and of course, my husband had to get into it. He went into his Sunday school class and told him that I had written an owner's manual. And, and I said, "Oh, cute! That was really cute." <laughs> so, so there was all there was always a good humor around it, but yeah. that was the beginning. And how did you how did you think through each book, like foolproofing your life, for instance? I mean, that was that's probably your most famous book that I I yeah. think. I mean, but yeah. how did you come up with the title, and what was your motivation to write that book? My motivation was that I was working as a counselor when, and this again is another fluke. I mean, I've always gone through the back door. I I left the radio program after three years, mm-hmm. and um, it was a very um, it was an a, an emotionally stretching time those three years. And so when I when I left, I had nothing, I had nothing left to do. Mm-hmm. And so I I came back and I um, all I would do would go to the the post office. I mean that was. It was, it was a sad time. Yeah, that's hard, I'd had, right. I'd had, I had nine people working for me here in Chattanooga, had to let them go. I mean, so, so leaving the program was a big deal, but there were, there were emotional issues that were just really, really hard. And so had to get out of that. And, um, cause I was working with another person. That was, oh. that was the deal. And so, but, um, I just thought, God, I don't know. I don't know what's next. Went to the post office box. And I got this crumpled up little pink piece of paper that said, you who have endured the stinging experiences make God's best counselors. Mm, oh. And so and so I didn't have anything to do. So I wrote a thank you note back to the address, which was just a P.O. box in New York. And I wrote back to that person and said, thank you for sending it, blah, blah. And then I got it back, addressee unknown. So really? I don't know where it came from, but I framed that and I have it still in my office today because um, right after that, I got two calls from two PhD level counseling. They PhD, called out of the blue? Out of the blue. Out of the blue. So amazing. I didn't know them. I, I mean, I didn't know who they were, but they knew me because I'd been on the radio. So they called me and asked me to come work. And basically that was back in the day when this was possible, um, not because of licensure issues, it was possible. And I could, um, they wanted me to come work with their women who woke up mad and didn't get over it. These were not deep issues. They were, these were just women in their forties where life had not turned out like they wanted it and, and who needed some spiritual guidance and who needed some, somebody to cheer them on. And so well, just to take a little rabbit trail here, because it's, I mean, I can see where this is going. You went into the counseling, but just to pause for a minute on that, because I think this is huge. A lot of people have this feeling like, like that, what you just said, my life isn't what I thought it would be. What did you tell them? How did you counsel them? 
Well, basically, I listened to them to begin with. I listened mm-hmm. and I listened. And interestingly enough, one group, um, uh, we just listened and listened. And then when they got sick of hearing themselves, <laughs> I mean, literally, they got sick of hearing themselves. Then we began to talk about, okay, what can you do? What's God for you? Where is God in all of this? And and I just found there was great, um, if you have time, there's great value in letting them say what they have to say until they hear that it's turned into a whine. Yeah. And then you can say, okay, there's more to life than this. God has more for us. Let's look at it. And out of that group, amazingly, one gal became a counselor. I mean, she's working in church today. She is their church counselor. Um, Two of them are in the same situation they were in before, but they are radiant and victorious. In other words, the people they were dealing with haven't changed, but they did. And they changed and they, they quit whining. And amazingly, now I can get together with this group and it's just, uh, they, they talk about how good God is, how, what God has done in their lives. Every one of them has, has gone on and has yeah, gone on. Because hard, because I think, well, even, I mean, thinking of that, I mean, I think sometimes like you're told when you're stuck in that place, cause I've been stuck in that place. And I find it funny when you say like, you get tired, I've gotten tired of hearing the same old, like yesterday I sent my group a text, like, and I was like, I'm so sick of asking for the same thing, but I feel like sometimes I can get stuck in that mode of, ah, the one thing I, that I still want, that's not happening. And, but I can't make it stop, you know, like, right. how do you flick that switch to, to being like people always tell you gratitude. You know, if you, you name your thousand gifts, whatever strategy for saying thanks. But I find sometimes I'll be like, well, thank you for, and I start making my list. And at the end, I'm still sort of feel like I'm faking it. How do you stop faking it? <laughs> yeah. You know? I, well, I think we stop faking it when we stop faking it. And we just say, God, here I am. And I'm, I'm really sick of this. And I'm, and, and again, it's, I, I get sick of me and, and it's, and I know that you will provide what you will provide in your good time, in your good way, because you're a good God. And, but I think it's very, um, authentic. There's a very popular word today to be able to say, listen, God, I'm just, uh, here I am. But I, that is the beauty of being in the body in that you can have other people who know and understand you and who love you. I know when I was at this point of being sick of being sick, I had a friend who just listened to me and listened to me and listened to me. And finally, one day I just said, you know what? I'm tired of talking about this. Mm. It was bad. It was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. I was complaining. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. But yeah, but thanks for listening to me. But I'm sick of talking about it. Next time I bring it up, just remind me we're through with this conversation. And because a lot of our conversations are pointless, it's like we can we can want something, we can desire something. And unless we're just having that conversation with God in prayer, what good does it do? Well, and I think modern day now we we hurt in that regard because I think community is not as strong as it used to be because we go back to the time issues that you said people are so rushed. How I mean, what would you say to the listener who, you know, finds herself like sort of, you know, 
too busy to have a friend to be able to sit and talk to like that. Like, how do you make space for those relationships? Where do you find, maybe not even a space. Sometimes you don't even go to church. You come in, you leave. And, and there's not that community strength that I think might help you get out of some of those spits sometimes. I, I think, I think Lena, we have, we've lost the art of um, having good friends. And if you're going to have friends, it's clear you have to make yourself friendly. That's Bible talk. But the Bible, but the but the bottom line is to find to be intentional about relationship. Some of the things that we do that keeps us so busy need to be examined. And mm. because I always think, in the end of your days, will you have a relationship? Will there be anybody there? Will there be anybody who cares? Well, only if you're intentional about building relationships. And you can take up in the middle of a sentence. And it can be someone that that maybe you just relate to. Um, they may live in another city, but you yeah. relate through through text and calling. But but the point is, you're intentional about it. When we get so busy, we let things drag, and then we get embarrassed that we haven't been in touch. Yeah, and then and then it just fades away. But we need people. We need people in our lives. So I think you have to be intentional. That's. That's my favorite word when it comes to relationship. Be intentional. Well, and you can't like, and I know we all know that, but like, I find like this competing, you know, online friends that we think we're in really, I mean, I know everyone talks about it and it's, but it's so true. Like those are not real friends. Like people on, you know, you can make acquaintances, but that's not what you're talking about. Not a person that you put a status update like. Oh, Murphy, no, that's no, no, no. I'm talking about somebody that you do life with. It may be somebody you work with. It may be somebody that you, wherever you meet them, it can be you meet them anywhere, but you click, you look at each other and you say, you too. And, and it's like, we're, we make this connection and then that grows, but you're intentional about it. You don't let it fall away. Um, you, you, I know right now, um, I have friends here in town that I'm intentional about getting together with. And we intentionally get together. It's called the Monday Girls. Now, we don't always make it on Monday, but and we don't make it every week. But we do intentionally get together. We learned the, the importance of that because there were nine of us. And within three years, three of them had died. And they oh, weren't no. young. They were in their 60s. And, oh, wow. um, you know, they in strange circumstances, um, you know, just strange diseases. They just died. And so it's like, um, boy, did we learn that you better enjoy your friends while you have them, but you well, need to be intentional about having them. Well, and so in case in point, I mean, so I'll have like a conversation like this and there's always that person who will email me or even I'll, I'll talk about topics like that. Sometimes they'll be like, well, well, I don't have a, tr- or in, in context of singleness, sometimes I'll talk about to singles, about community. And, you know, there's so many excuses that people are like, well, I'm not in church or I go to church. Nobody talks to me. And there's sort of the sense where you can become like the Bible talks about isolating yourself is bad because you're seeking your own desire. But how do you help somebody who may be like, well, I want that. I'd love to have Monday girls, but I don't. I'm, I'm like this person who, you know, is trying to make it through my life alone. My family doesn't know the Lord. You know, how do you take that first step to even find someone you click with? Or do you just pray and God provides? Maybe that's well, it. I, I think it can go both ways. I think you can pray and God will provide. But also, I still go back to that that admonition from Scripture that says, if you're going to be friend, if you're going to have friends, make yourself friendly. And, that's a good and challenge. And yeah, and it's like if I don't have friends, 
And I've walked into places before and I haven't known a soul. And I thought, oh, I wish I had one friend here. Yeah. But but then I began to begin to look at somebody and I, I and I watch how they operate. And if they're friendly, usually friendly people meet friendly people. Uh-huh. And um, I mean, you're friendly. I'm friendly. We immediately connected. Right. And but it would be harder. And I understand this. If you're if you're not a um, an outgoing person, it can be very hard. But I have found that quiet people can often find other quiet people over something that is um, something that they enjoy together. Yeah. Um, it's it is not necessary in this day and time for anyone to be isolated because there are too many things to do. And I'm talking I'm talking about church. But there are also other things. There are clubs. There, they're just there are book clubs. There, there are right. all kinds of ways. Travel to, groups, exactly. Running, you name it. Right. Well, what do you think about mentorship? Have you had a mentor in your life? Or do you think that's overrated? Do you think that a lot of Christians make a lot of that and then feel frustrated because they can't find somebody to be their mentor? I find that's more so than the other way around. You know? Yeah, I think I think the mentorship thing basically is based on. Um, God opening that door and, and also for the mentee, um, asking someone Mm. to mentor. It often happens that there is, um, they wait for somebody to volunteer to mentor. And, and I think it, it, that's a really touchy issue because, um, I think it has to be the perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I had a girl just, out of the blue, get in touch with me. And she had just moved into town from Florida and she found my website and she said, um, may I meet you? And I said, and I dug and said, what do you want? In so many words, (laughs) I thought, who are you and what do you want? And, um, she has been the most delightful. Um, and it's been a mentorship thing. She said, I want to do what you do. She's 20, 26. Um, she said, I want to do what you do. And, um, I just want to, I just want you to show me. And so we have you had, her to children's ministry. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, since I've known her, she's gotten married and had babies. And so oh, she's sort yeah. of, there you go. Exactly. And so she's following the formula. And, but the, the wonderful thing is I know God put that together and there have been others that God has put together. I don't look, go looking for anybody to mentor but if someone brings someone in my life that obviously we have a connection and yeah. it's clear that God has put them there, then I love that. I think it's great. So so sometimes mentor, yes, that's an answer, but not every time. And right. I think I think like anything else, we can get really legalistic and we can say, oh, yeah, that's the answer. Well, there are no pat answers right. for this situation. There just aren't. It's just like, God, how's this going to work out? And, you know, sometimes we don't have sense enough or, right. or <laughs> we don't even know to ask. And so right. if, if you're lonely, if you don't have connection, I think then always use the admonition, show yourself friendly. The other thing is see somebody who needs you. Mm. Um, I was very, very lonely in college because I changed colleges. And um, I thought, but I had always been taught, and this was before I was a believer, just find somebody who needs you. And so I just looked and there was a, a Chinese student who was there and she was alone. And so I began to spend time with her. 
Now, that did not satisfy the longing of my soul for mm. deep friendship, but I befriended her and we spent time together and it was a blessing. And then I and then I got to know other people and she got to know other people. But it's like you've got to look for these things. You can't sit and wait for relationship to come to you. Yeah, it's true. It's a good word. Quick question. How do you get through the waiting? Like, you know, that season you were saying when you left the radio program and you're sort of in limbo trying to figure out what to do next, you go to the mailbox, you get that note. I'm sure that wasn't like the next day. So in those seasons of pain, when you're sort of like trying to work through things and waiting on God for the next thing, what would you say to the person who's waiting on the Lord? That it's hard and, (laughs) you know, expect it to be hard. It's not easy. Um, that it's a great time to um, learn some disciplines. Um, I think when you're waiting, it is wonderful to carve out a period of your time during the week that you call your Sabbath. That mm. is, um, and you carve you carve out the time. And Sabbath can be Thursday night, or you know, doesn't mm. have to be a day. But it's a time when you do nothing, but you just, um, you know, you may put on some nice music and. You just say, God, I, I just, I just need to sense your presence and to know that you have something for me. And mm-hmm. then you read, read scripture, read. Um, I, I love reading wonderful. I love reading Amy Carmichael and mm-hmm. some of the old saints and how they went through times of waiting and how they went through hard times. I love reading them when I'm, um, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm in one of those places. And and then it's you're doing something other than just being part of about what you're waiting for, right? Yeah, yeah. And and God can speak to you in ways that I believe that just uh, encourages you and gives you hope and, cur- and courage to wait, right? Because That's waiting so is hard. Any right. way you look at it, don't let anybody ever tell you waiting is easy, right? That's good. What is your, in your opinion, right now the greatest need in our in our country? Mm. Wow. Um, that's that's a loaded question, Lena. You tell me a generic question, you might think like the Lord, but like really I think that's so too I, I mean to hone in a bit more. I mean I think right. I think that there's this 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 way in our country right now where and it, it actually it's ironic because I say the Lord and I say but the other just two days ago I was getting my hair done and the lady who does my hair is not a believer and she's very like I don't think she goes to church but Easter you know just doesn't have that as a language and she said to me out of the blue she goes I think the problem in our country is that nobody has religion anymore and I don't think wow. she meant like religion yeah. in the sense of but here's a woman who's really a worldly woman in many ways I feel. And she made that statement, and I thought, "Huh, it's interesting that she would say that." And I, and, and and there is a point where now everybody does what's right in their own eyes. That's but it. I don't know that, that you know necessarily that I have an answer for it, but I, I wonder about it sometimes. I, I think about the church. I think, okay, forget the country. What about the church? What is the greatest need in our church? Right. And I, is it the distraction, or is it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's why I, I was I asking think you. A lot of it. You know, I mean, I think yeah. she hit the nail on the head. I think she, she, what she is saying is we've lost our moorings. Yes. And because we've lost our moorings, and for her that would be religion, yeah. it, it's like we've lost our moorings. We don't know who we are. Yeah. We don't know who we are as a country. We're fighting about who we are as a, cr- a country, and we're divided in that concept. 
And then we don't know who we are as believers because either we are in a um, very, very um, strong one way church or a strong the other way church. And it's like, uh, and we're not talking about, I don't think we're talking enough about cultural issues in light of what God says and in light of the scriptures so that we can take the scripture and we can apply it. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I think the church needs to be relevant, but relevant, scripturally relevant. And the two have to go together. And I don't think we can we can fade out into this um, tolerance of all things. Because mm-hmm. what I have found in, in dealing with folks is they want to know what God's stand is. They see the church as speaking for God. What is his stand? Now, they may not go with it, but they don't want, they don't want a, a watered down, this is what God thinks, I think, or God didn't really mean that. Um, they don't want that. People yeah. want, okay, God said that, and then I, I decide what I do with it. But and I've seen a lot of that in um, in some folks in lifestyles. They have said, "I just want to know what God says," and then yeah. let them decide what they're going to do about it. What are some simple ways to love the world? Um, I don't mean love. I mean the world, the people. Yeah, love the people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the simplest way is to listen to them. Yeah. Um, to spend time with them. Um, one of the, one of the, the people that I know who are, are not believers. And I mean, and I say not believers yet. Someday they may be, um, yeah. that would be my hope and my prayer, but I just love them. I spend time with them. Um, I listen to them, whatever they're interested in. Um, I try to be interested in, I, yeah. I, I think it's important. It's just people to people. It's like if again, if you're going to be friends, you have to show yourself friendly. But also, it's like it by being interested in other people, they understand then that you care about them. It's, yeah, like you don't win people by arguing the issues. You oh, win no. people by loving them. Yeah, well, it's you a, don't even you're... talk necessarily about the issues. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like why even talk about the issues? Just tell me what you're doing. Tell me, tell me about your life. Tell me, and and they they'll tell you. People right. want to be known, and I think a lot of time we as believers um, can be so narrowly focused that we are right. Um, mm. Our God is God, and we are right that we can't even enter into a conversation with other people about their world. Right, and not that not that they're going to convince us of their world. But it's like, let's just have a conversation people to people. Right. And um, it, it sure makes a difference, I think, if we're open to that. And we're not seen as closed off. Sometimes I think we as believers, um, yeah. if we have a failure, it is that we we close off. And yeah, we try to protect ourselves maybe. Yeah, I don't we're know. Afraid, we're afraid of having a conversation with yeah. somebody who is um, totally different than we are. Yeah. And what are you working on now, Jan? Uh, what am I working on now? You know, I'm teaching. Uh, it's something I'm teaching, and I don't know if anything's going to come out of it, but it's messy issues in the church. And oh, um, so I'm teaching. Really good. Yeah, it's fun. And teaching, we've, we've talked about um, immigration. We've talked about um, 
uh, end of life issues, both ends of life, abortion mm-hmm. and um, euthanasia. We have talked about uh, racism and uh, we're going to talk about sexuality in the next couple of weeks. And then we've talked a lot about historically how we've gotten here. Because to understand what is going on, we need to understand where we've come from and how quickly we have slid into rationalism and um, and how we're living. So that's that's been my latest interest. So you're not you're not retiring anytime soon. Oh, mercy. No, I don't see that in (laughs) in the Bible. I don't see retirement. I just see old people just continuing to to do old stuff. I mean, you know, new stuff. And um, I mean, look at Sarah. So, yeah. you know, so yeah. now well, I, Sarah, I mean, I wouldn't use her as the example. You know, I'm laughing about that one. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no, awesome. no, I, I don't see. I think there is something to be had from every generation yeah. that is needed. And I think when old, older people decide to um, hang it up, that they think they have nothing else to contribute. Yeah. And um, that's when your life becomes stale. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm just going to stay at it as long as the Lord allows. Well, you are plain fun and I love talking to you. I think I could talk for another hour with you on the here. Well, but, you're fun too. Let me just say we can, I, I, want, I want people to find more of your stuff. Um, tell us your website, like how, or where do people find you? Easy. Jan That's S I L V I O U S. Correct. And that's good. And so you've got 11 books, I think. Um, I want to give one away. Why don't you guys, whoever emails me first, we'll do fool, foolproofing your life because everybody's got a fool in their life. That's and, right. Right? And uh, that will be fun. And then you're not, are you on social media? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everywhere? Uh, uh, everywhere. Yeah. Really? You tweet even? I Occasionally. I'm not as big a tweeter as I've got Facebook all over the place. Yeah. And right. um and I don't tweet so much, but I'm I'm thinking well, about. Most people don't anymore. It's just a few hardy people who've stuck out Twitter. Most people have moved over. Everybody's got a social media philosophy, but um, I I can't wait for people to find out more about you just by looking up at your website and well, uh, your blog. He's so cute. He hasn't barked yet, which is pretty. No, incredible. I've been amazed. He has run to the window, and I thought, here goes. But he's what do you have planned the rest of the day? Got um, any exciting things? Uh, I'm going to a seder meal tonight. At oh. we're having a um, that's awesome yeah yeah Easter's so coming up. That's, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the next big thing um, and, well, and I'm working on sexuality um, oh there you go that's so I mean you know it's a and sexuality yeah. that's a good day for you that's day. Awesome. <laughs> next time I have you on we're gonna have a sex talk okay all the I love it. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, it's been so fun having you on. I uh, I love you and I'm just grateful for this time. Guys, if you're listening, uh, you want to find out more about Jan or how to reach her, look at the link. Otherwise, if you've got any questions for me, as usual, Lena, L-I-N-A at livingwithpower.org or check out all of our resources for you. There's so much that you guys get to download for free. Go download the app, Living With Power, go on the website. Have a blast. We've got so many great resources for you. There's no excuse for anybody in this age not to be close to the Lord through the study of his word. Just go crazy online. I love you guys. I'll see you guys next week. Have a great day.